1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Take the Beatles and I'll be quiet. Oh, you recording our conversation? Looking for a what? What is it? Looking for a home to last. Looking for a blast from the past. We're talking about 14 songs we hope to get. I've got a feeling. How many have we already recorded good enough? None. None of us has had the idea of what the show's going to be. I've got a feeling. I would dig to play on the stage, you know. Nobody else wants to do a show. I think we've got a bit shy. Oh, no! Yeah! Yeah! What could it be? Paul, something in the way she moves. Hmm? What attracted me at all? Just say whatever comes into your head each time. Attracts me like a cauliflower until you get the word. You a show to be had, you know, once we get over the nervousness. Yeah. Take ten. Oh, yeah. I think we should forget the whole idea of this show. The meeting was fine, but then you know, it all sort of fell apart in the end. So what's our next move? Let me split George's instruments. But it's going to be such a comical thing, like in 50 years' time. They broke up because Yoko sat on an amp. Documentary just grinding to a halt. Grinding to a halt, I think it's taking off. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the best bit of us, always has been and always will be, is when we're backs against the wall. All we've got is us. What do you think? When I find myself in times of trouble, 
Mother Mary comes to me Speaking words of wisdom Do you want to do it once more then? Yes, yes. I mean, we'll never get a chance to do it again. Cats and kittens, what are we going to do? What would you like to see the Beatles do now? A show, a live show. Jojo was a man who thought he was a loner, but he knew it couldn't last. We should do the show in a place we're not allowed to do it, getting forcibly ejected. I think that's too dangerous. I mean, that is an interesting thought of you all being beaten up. <laughs> Ringo said that he thought we ought to just tell it like it is. I think we are. Everybody and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and this time out, I'm joined by three guests. Uh, you all know Bob Fisher as a big Beatles fan. He and I did the long play review of Abbey Road. We recently reviewed Hard Day's Night on this show, and Bob is back again because we're taking a look at Get Back, the documentary on Disney Plus. How you doing, Bob? Doing great, Paul. Thanks for this. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. As am I. Thanks. Uh, this time out, I also invited, I'm going to call him my uncle-in-law, uh, <laughs> Andy Zago, who is, I, as we were just saying before we started recording, he rivals Bob uh, as far as his being a Beatles fan. I'm not sure which one I would say is a bigger fan, and that's a compliment to both of them, or it could be an insult to both of them if, it, if we're talking about cr just crazy fanhood. Uh, but just the same, Andy adds an extra level of credibility to it as far as I'm concerned, because on top of being a huge fan, he's also a band member, bass player, musician in general, and has a great level of appreciation for music that I can't even approach. So I appreciate thank his you. coming on here today, Andy. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you. This is uh, fun for me. After, after trying to get the Skype going, but now it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so last but not least is my cousin-in-law, Michael Zago, Andy's son. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, Michael has a podcast of his own called The Link, uh, in which, uh, you know, I was going to – it seemed like when you first started, you had a real focus that, you know, I'm going to cover this kind of thing and I'm going to link things mm -hmm. together, which was the title. But it seems more like now it's kind of like – this is something that interests me, and this is where I want to go with the topic this week. Would that be fair? I've come up with, I've come up with the perfect way to describe it. The go, podcast please. is the link of all the different things that I like, because I can never narrow myself down. It's impossible. First of all, thanks for having me. I'm just launching into my own diatribe <laughs> here. And second of all, 
Uh, yeah, I love music. I love movies. They go hand in hand for this one, but I love video games and art and all different kind of stuff. So when I look at all the episodes together, the podcast ends up being the link of all those different things. And uh, it kind of worked out that way. And I'm going to say that a week ago, Michael and Andy both did an episode of the Link podcast where they discussed Get Back. Uh, so I anticipate that there will be some overlapping in this show and that one. But I think that they would probably present well as companion pieces to each other. So anyone who's listening to this and kind of likes what they hear, I'm going to suggest that you seek that out and, and listen to it and give it a shot. Because I think you'll Thank enjoy you. it. At the link underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram, if you're interested. You can get everything there. So now. Now this, that's a podcaster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got it down. Yeah, it took me, it took me about eight years to get what he's got down nice. in a couple of months. Yeah. Get ready, Bob. There's going to be more. Don't you worry. <laughs> so uh, I grew. I remember as a kid. Now you know we've talked about the Beatles, Bob and I, before on the air. Uh, I've always loved the Beatles' music, but I really became like very aware of it in my teens. And at that point, the Beatles had already broken up. And I remember, you know, it was, you know, I'm old enough uh, to remember, you know, when we didn't have VHS or DVDs. And I had never seen the movie Let It Be. And it was going to be on HBO, but I lived in Brooklyn and we didn't have cable. But my brother, who lived out in Long Island, had cable. And he invited me out to come out for the weekend and watch Let It Be on his HBO. And it was such an excitement for me. Uh, but... As I've discussed with people before, it was kind of a, a bittersweet viewing experience for me because it really seemed to encapsulate the breakup of the band and the uncomfortableness they had. Uh, and then I heard, just to take that as to, to current times, a couple of months ago when uh, they said Peter Jackson was making Get Back and that he was taking all this footage from the uh, from the Let It Be sessions, and that he was going to present a much more realistic and a much more accurate portrayal of what went on uh, in those sessions. And I really looked forward to watching it for that reason, because I wanted to see the same songs performed with a level of joy that I didn't see in the movie Let, Let It Be. Uh, the only real level of joy to me in that movie was the rooftop concert at the end. This one absolutely delivered on that to me there's some definite tense moments but i could see the camaraderie between these guys i could see the level of enjoyment and things that were edited in this and i want to talk about the editing process as we move on but things that were edited differently so that now i can enjoy watching them in a way that i hadn't before and i'm going to throw that out to you three and see what you think i can start yeah go ahead yeah, uh, I, I see it as a uh, a vision of these four guys who were closer than any four people had ever been in the history of entertainment. They were stuck together because they didn't have a moment's time between 63 and 69 or 67 when they after they stopped touring. They were touring, they were recording, they were interviewing, they were making their movies. There was no time in between. So it was these four guys. And then they became four individuals 
who still had a camaraderie, but it was different because they had different lives. So, you know, you take that togetherness and the fact that they were no longer together, and it's kind of four fractured guys, but still there was a genuine love. That's it. I think there was a love of, of each other there, but I think there was also a love of performing that did not come through in Let It Be that I did think came through in this. The love of playing, I agree. Performing, I think two of them still were good with it, John and Paul. I think Ringo, Ringo was either way. He was kind of spaced out most, mostly. George definitely did not want to perform. He had no uh, inclinations, as as in later years. He was, the, out of out of all of them, he was the most reticent to perform live. And yet he ultimately came out with a Live from Japan album that I thought was excellent. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was great. Also because Eric Clapton got the band together and produced it and played with him. So he had his cushion. Yeah, but everyone says they're hesitant to play live, but the hesitancy was only ever before we started watching them play. Once, I mean, I know we're skipping to the end now, but we're going to be all over the place, I'm sure. Once you actually see them on the rooftop playing, there's zero hesitancy from anyone, or at least so it seems. They all just click back into the thing, which is beautiful because it's it's a struggle until they get there. And then when the mics go on, it's all fine. Well, because they had 10 years of professionalism to show for it. They knew it once lights are on, they were an act. It's showtime. Yes. Those were the Beatles. That was the Beatles. Definitely. But but you didn't really get that from the old Let It Be movie, from what I remember, because you didn't have the the difference, the yin and yang of the it's Mm -hmm. hard now and it's good now. It was just kind of ugly the whole time, which sucks. Well, yeah. my my kind of experience with this is uh, I'm old enough to have seen this in the theater when it was released. And uh, uh, as Paul and I've talked, I've been a Beatle fan. I've, I, I saw them in 1965 in Washington, D.C. live. Uh, you know, I've seen Paul many times, uh, you know, but. I, I was going to try in my head when I was thinking about doing this with you, Paul. I was thinking, okay, but I'm not going to compare it to Let It Be. I'm going to review it on a movie on its own. Well, the first thing I did that. was throw out a comparison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you can't. You can't uh, not compare them. And I'll tell you what. I went to the theater to see this, and I was excited, like everybody. You know, Beatles, oh, my God, a new movie, and rumors had had it that this was live, and you know, studio, and it's just stuff we'd never seen before. I was all excited. And I remember sitting in that movie theater, and for the first, what, hour and 20 minutes or so, I thought, this band needs to break up. These guys need to get so far away from each other, don't ever see each other again. And then they went on the roof, and I went, oh, yeah, that's the Beatles. That's why they stay together. I'll never watch Let It Be ever again. What we have here in Get Back is context. We have absolute, well, again, it's Peter Jackson's uh, point of view, but it's a much more involved detail, obviously, when you go from an hour, 20 hour, 30, whatever the original was. 
uh, to six hours, you're going to see more. But I left that movie originally, let it be, thinking that John and Paul actually hated each other, that George didn't want to play anymore, didn't want to be part of a Beatle. And, and, uh, you know, Ringo didn't care one way or the other. And watching this movie, you see that they all cared about the Beatles. They all put input. There was a scene later on after they'd been doing a lot of the music and recording. John actually mentioned, my God, we've never learned this many songs in this short a period of time. And they were trying to whittle it down to what they were going to play. And when John read that list of songs that they had worked on, you heard at least three of George, well, a solo stuff. It was their solo stuff and uh, that didn't make the cut. And at one point, John even said uh, during Let It, the song Let It Be, when they were doing it over and over and over and over again. I thought it was hysterical when John um said we'll never get to Maggie May at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> so uh but you know it 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 literally uh I sat here and just smiled throughout the entire thing. Even through the hard bits when George walks out and you know Ringo says Pfft. um I, I you know all of that uh when Paul was being <clears throat> a little Mr. Bossy and uh, it was just a, a terrific piece because we saw things like John saying, hey, this started as a Paul thing. Now it's a Beatles thing. OK. And George doesn't want to go. And it, it's four guys, like you said, who were uh, individuals by this point. I also real quickly when it comes to the women and how Yoko was. Um, I've never been uh, an anti Yoko person. Uh, I put it this way back when John and Yoko got together, I was such a John fan that I thought, Hey, it's the woman he's chosen. It's his love. It's his life. I, I can't complain. I can't, you know, you can't say, uh, that about another guy. You wouldn't just say, no, that guy, you're crazy. What are you dating that woman for? I don't know. It's just, to me, it was love. It was a thing. It was John and it became John and Yoko. And you notice by the end of these sessions, all of their women were there and kids and stuff. But Yoko was there throughout. Uh, it didn't bother me. Except that one thing I thought it was really funny when Paul said, why is she sitting on my amp? <laughs> <laughs> she was there through the whole thing. But I think what this movie does or this this film, I, I don't even know what to call it because it's so long. It's not just a movie. I know. Um, it's more but, than that. Yeah. But what I think it did is it, it debunked 50 years of everybody saying that Yoko broke up the Beatles. Exactly. Because she is seen as a negative influence in the way the original movie was edited. But in this movie, or this version, she just seems to be there enjoying herself, being one of the people. I mean, there is the point where she sings, and you know she has this screechy singing that if you don't like that, you're just <laughs> never going to like it. Right. That but, was a fun but it does look like they're having fun. And... You know, one of the things, and I took this from from uh, Michael and Andy's episode <clears throat> last week, is you kept marveling about how young they were at this time, or how mature they yeah. were uh, mentally compared to their chronological age. Yeah, but one of the things that I took from this was watching Yoko interact with everybody, and then we saw you know a decent amount of Linda 
interacting mm-hmm. and, and certainly yes. a lot of Heather. Uh, mm-hmm. But we, you know, we only saw a little bit of Maureen and, and I, I don't remember ever seeing uh, what you call George's wife. Patty. Yeah. Patty, Patty was not there. Yeah. Patty. Was so she came there. in, at, she came in at one point and, and said hello and then walked, walked right out. Did you? I didn't, I didn't remember seeing Patty there. But as far as, as far as Linda and Yoko went, it really did seem to me at the way this presented, like they were typical 20 something year old people's girlfriends yes. uh, that when the other it, members talk to them, they talk to them that way. You know, the same way, like if you d- went on a double date with a friend who had a steady, you know, you'd, yes. you'd know their girlfriend and, you, and you'd kind of, you know, talk to them free and easy. And that's the way it seemed to me in this edit. Me too. And, and, and the way there were actually, scenes with, there were Linda, I mean, uh, yeah, Linda and Yoko scenes, just the two of them. T- you didn't hear what they were saying, yes. but they were smiling and laughing with each other. Yeah, so, I find that funny because he probably had the audio for that and chose not to use it, which probably people <laughs> wouldn't have cared about what they, it was probably nonsense and just talking about yeah. nothing. But that would have been kind of funny to see. I also think people owe Yoko, not only did she not break up the Beatles, we owe her an apology. Like, to me, after watching yeah. this, she seemed cool and really fun She's to hang out with. And you know, here's something else, a real quick little thing about Yoko, which I think is interesting. Before Billy Preston came into the sessions, uh, John or George was saying, well, which one's going to play guitar? Because if we drop the one guitar to play the piano, we don't have the guitar and we need the guitar. Who's going to play piano? Yoko is sitting there quietly. She's a concert freaking pianist. She could have played this stuff in her sleep. And at one point, uh, George was looking for a chord on the piano or something. Again, Yoko sitting right there reading a book could have just gone G minor or whatever it was. I mean, she is a concert pianist and uh, she helped John a lot when uh, his solo career doing the piano stuff and all that. Uh, and I thought it was amazing that she did not offer any musical that we saw uh, uh, interpretations or references or, no, John, do this or do that. None yeah, of that. that. Physically, you're right. But I do think she deserves credit for <clears throat> all the silly parts of John in this, which there were so many of, which is yes. some of the uh-huh. most fun. Like he was so ridiculous in keeping it light. Maybe on yes. purpose because he knew it was necessary or just because that's how he was. But it right. sure seemed like he and Yoko both had that in them and it amplified it in each other. And I don't I know agree. if John would have, A, even gotten to this point, <clears throat> this bright point, without Yoko being there no. by his side. No, and so, two, no. musically, I don't think he would have been as good if he didn't have that fun, bright part of him to just take the pressure off. So I think exactly. she, like we actually owe her more than we even know for keeping John not in line, almost the opposite, but almost keeping him motivated. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I agree with point. that. My take on it is that Yoko and Linda were partners in the in the sense that they were equal partners, not just wives. Whereas yes. George's wife Patty and Maureen were what they call Beatle wives. And that's no fault of their own. It's Ringo and George's take on it. They did not let them fully in. Right. That's the way this I This is also, it. this is neither here nor there, but I never realized until today when I was listening to the album again before this, just for the hell of it, that Paul says, thanks, Mo, at the end of Get Back, and he's looking at Ringo's wife 
I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, he's he's looking at Ringo's wife on the rooftop because she's there, like, rocking out because she was a Beatles fan first. And I'm like, this makes so much sense. It sounds just like a throwaway, especially yeah. to a younger person like myself. I get to call myself <laughs> that now around you guys. So this group you can. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I thought there was some great point. I uh, uh, Last night I put it on again, but this time I, uh, I turned on the, um, what do you call it, the visual handicap narration thing. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever done that or not. I am visually yeah, I, impaired. On certain movies, I, I, lately to, I find movies, like sometimes you cannot get the dialogue. People you can't. I have no idea what's going on. I'm subtitles at all times. I, I yeah. subscribe to subtitles always. No, but this, uh, this, this, is, is, this is beyond right. subtitles. This is a visual This aid. is a visual thing. And uh, when I had on, what, on Get Back, there is a female British voice that will describe what's happening on screen. She'll say <laughs> quietly while the music's playing, and then it'll go quiet, and she'll say, Ringo shuffles his hair and smiles. <laughs> oh, my God. And, it'll, and she'll describe all it. But at one point on the rooftop, I had never seen this before. And I've seen that rooftop concert thousands of times. I have watched, well, the Let It Be version over and over and over again. Um, there's a point right towards the end where John points to Billy Preston in the background. Okay, I never noticed that before. And Billy takes a solo. And the narration comes in and says, John points to Billy to take a solo. <laughs> oh, cool. I never heard that. I never saw him do that. And when you play it back, John looks back and points his little finger, just a real quick little point, and Billy Preston takes over. Uh, it's such a, And that's a whole other topic right there, by the way, is Billy Preston. Which is yeah. where I started, I think, with this little rant before this, uh, I went over there. This recording predates reality TV. Uh, yes. But I've yeah. always had somewhat of an issue with reality TV and documentaries, for that matter, which this falls in line with that. Uh, when they say it's real life, because I always say if it's real life, it's not real life if you know there's a camera on you. I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. Now, there, there are some... There are some things about that though first of all i think the more the camera is on you the more you're likely to fall into your natural way of being so yes. the fact that they had 20 hours of footage you know gives them more likelihood that sometimes they're acting the way they would if a camera wasn't on them right but there's also the ability to manipulate things in editing uh back years ago i actually knew one of the contestants who actually was on and won the show survivor uh, and he talked about how things got edited to kind of to, to emphasize uh, rivalries between players that didn't even really exist. Right. Uh, and and he, you know, you could see when you're looking at it from that perspective how clever that could be and how you can really manipulate the the emotions of the viewers. Create and, and I think that's, again, what we look at when we're looking at the difference between Let It Be and Get Back. I think I have back... a weird uh, – can, can I offer something weird that I'm only just thinking of? But when you put it that way, uh, first of all, my dad and I talked a lot about the cameras being on them and individual people and how they reacted. Like sometimes John would look at the camera and wink or make a funny face. So if you want to hear more about me ranting about that, go to the Link podcast, available on all <laughs> podcast networks. But, <laughs> but a thing that you just made – <laughs> yeah, I'm shameless. That's true. It gets <laughs> listeners, though. It works. Uh, the thing I'm wondering is, 
Michael Lindsay Hogg is not a cool guy, obviously, as we're all trying to get to, right? He makes this awful cut that makes it seem like they're fighting. But if we remove the fact that it's the Beatles from the Let It Be thing, pretend you pretend you don't know the Beatles, who the Beatles are, or that it's a fictional movie, whatever. If he's just writing a movie and trying to cut and direct a movie to make it interesting, I guess you can understand why he would want it to be conflict, 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 and then end the movie with it culminating that the conflict goes away and that the concert actually goes well. So from a, just a movie perspective, I think it's hard to look back on it positively now, obviously with the benefit of this being out, but it's interesting that he was able to make like such a visceral reaction in people. It's just that when Peter Jackson does it 50 times better, it's like, okay, well, we yeah. right. now, when, when he edited this together, the original let it be movie and, and Andy and, and Bob, you should probably have a better perspective on this than me. When the movie came out, had the Beatles already broken up? Yes. So see, in my mind, that's, that's a, that's a real bad choice because yeah. they the Beatles were so this, beloved yeah. and then now they had broken up and now you're, you're putting together this movie that's saying, look, this here's, is them all falling apart and collapsing. This is why it, they broke up, right? Yeah. Whereas if they <clears throat> had not broken up yet, then I could see where you might say to yourself, look, I'm showing how they've overcome adversity to get to this point, as Michael was describing it, to, to this, this finale where they, they come together and perform this brilliant concert. Uh, despite these differences that they had. But with everybody said about their breaking up, I think that was a terrible choice. Well, also what happened at this time period, after they finished these sessions, they, they shelved it. They shelved it. They didn't want to do the movie. It took a year and a half. They put the, this was the last album released, but it was not the last album recorded. Right. After this, they went back into the studio with George Martin. Again, a Paul at Paul's, um, you know, uh, prodding and <clears throat> said, so let's get back into the studio and do it like the old days. And they came up with Abbey road. And of course, during these sessions, we hear the beginnings of three or four Abbey road songs that'll make it in later, uh, that didn't make it into this. And I think that's what really, you know, hurt. I think when this came out, cause we got Abbey road, we thought, Oh my God, the Beatles are back. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm going to throw out to uh, to Michael here now. Uh, listening to your show again to give that pl- one more plug because people haven't heard oh, that yeah. enough. Uh, you compared <laughs> Let It Be and Abbey Road and said you know now you see them as companion pieces, whereas yeah. I see them as so opposed to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. Let It Be is 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 you know especially if you listen to Let It Be Naked, uh, not the Phil Spector version. Let It Be is a yeah. raw just rock album that's really all it comes down to whereas abbey road is more slick and produced with that george martin quality to it so i don't think they kind of mesh together the same way you do and i'm throwing that into your lap to to tell me why i'm wrong yeah please i mean look everyone gets to look at it their own way for sure i'm not saying you're wrong but the way i view it is that uh spiritually first of all some of the songs were written literally in the same exact recordings so that alone to me, when you're watching Maxwell Silver Hammer being a big part of this Get Back movie, not a big part, but it was it was a fun it part. It was obviously there, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, a bunch of the different songs, I won't go and list them, you can find them if you watch the film, but they really were recorded at the same time. And even if they weren't in the same session, they were recorded a mere couple of months after and probably written around the same time. Um, so however you want to choose the um, 
the overarching tone of these albums, which I will grant you are different, they are different inside of their own album, too. Um, Get Back and I, Me, Mine have no similar tones, really, and yet they're on the same album, or Across the Universe is completely wildly different also. In fact, that probably would have fit better on Abbey Road, if we're being honest. So, Which one, I'm sorry? Across the Universe. Across the Universe. Yeah, it might have. Yeah, that's you know what? That's not a bad point. That's, so I think you can mix and match them different ways, and and it's still spiritually they're all writing them at the same time. It's within at least one year of each other, and yeah. it just feels like the same passion in both the albums. It's the same Beatles. It's the same music. One is like Paul said though, uh, the Let It Be sessions are raw, and that album, the Naked Let It Be album, which I prefer way over the Phil Spector version, uh, you hear the Beatles just you hear what you saw in Get Back. And two or three of the songs uh, from the rooftop made it to that album. So, uh, you know, I really, really like the Get Back album. I mean, the Let It Be album. I think I'll always call it Get Back album now. But Mm -hmm. the Let It Be album, I like quite a bit. But I did not like the Let It Be movie from the get-go. And have I, I doubt I'll ever watch it again. I watched it a few months ago. In preparation, and I did a Beatles thing during lockdown last year. I watched A Hard Day's Night and Help and uh, Magical. I did them all. I watched all Beatles, everything Beatles. And uh, that was probably the last time I'll ever watch Let It Be. Um, If I want to watch any Beatles from that era, it'll be Get Back. Um, There's so much in this six hours. That makes me want to say, I want to see the other 14, 15, 16 hours now that they've got. I want to see all the raw footage. Do you think we get like a 60-hour Peter Jackson director's cut in like 10 years? Yeah, exactly. And it'll be the 12-hour uncut, unvarnished. I want to throw out another uh, another plug uh, for for, for the listening audience. If you go to, on the Two True Freaks Network, the show Long Play, episode number 20, is Bob and I waxing poetic, discussing every track in Let It Be for about an hour or so. Uh, yeah. And, and that, was, that was a labor of love, discussing that. You know, we, tur- we turned into Chris Farley from Saturday Night Live, every song. <laughs> oh, yeah, this one was great. This uh, was great. This but was but great. We, that was no, a lot wanted... of fun. And I, What's I, your favorite I mean, song on the album? Without thinking, quickly, everybody. The best song on the album? Favorite song on the Let It Be Here album. Comes the Sun. Yeah, let it be out. Let it come be together. Uh, my God, the whole second part, Golden. <laughs> How do you do that? No, on let it be. On let it be. On let it be. Oh, on let it on be. Le- oh, on let it yeah. be. It's either let it be or the long and winding road for me. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's weird because that uh, is so awesome. I mean, it's it's yeah, such a great. It's hard. I know. <laughs> the the songs are so damn good. I but I tend to go back to the old rocker again. I love uh, one after nine oh nine. Okay, oh, that's, wow. that's that a song rock and was, roll song. That song was done in nineteen sixty two. Did, yeah, did, did, did they, they do, do that it. in the Cavern Club? They, I think they, John actually had a uh, uh, said he and Paul worked on it in like the late fifties, fifty nine, fifty. You know, it was the one of the things they would do when they were doing Carl Perkins and. It was a very there's an old there's an old demo on one of the anthologies of the one after nine oh nine done in sixty three. Terrific. And yeah, also I, across, I, across the universe was also done. It was a John Lennon solo thing 
done for a charity album called Around the World. Right. And it had all little kids singing the chorus. Hmm. And they redid it. Yeah. The, uh, 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 I used to collect Beatle. I, I think it's so amazing because... Back in the 60s, you go to record stores. Yes, children, there were stores, and they sold these vinyl things in boxes. <laughs> Very cool. You put a needle down on them, and it made sound come out. It was wonderful. But I looked for, I was a collector of Beetle Bootleg. So you look for everything, and I would just buy these albums because you flip over the back, and it'll say 30 seconds of some other guy live. What? Oh, oh gotta go get that. Gotta go get that. I mean, you know, that's how crazy I was. Any little thing that uh, that came out of these recording sessions that ended up on the cutting room floor. And then I got a live Cavern Club album and it had, uh, uh, I forgot what songs were on it, but real early stuff and some of their uh, old rock and roll stuff. It was terrible quality. But then yeah. all of a sudden the Hollywood Bowl concert came out on bootleg. Oh, my God, I thought I was in seventh heaven. It was a Beatles concert live that you could hear. It's amazing. Yeah. Still have it. I think they've actually re-released it now as a non-bootleg. But uh, Oh, they, they re-released it as a non-bootleg years ago on vinyl. Uh, but it but it still it was overcome with the screaming. And I understand that they did remaster a version where they really toned down the screaming, and it was a much more enjoyable listening a little experience. Bit. Well, that was the problem seeing them live in, in 65. And I told you this, Paul, it, it's, that scared me to death. I was a 13-year-old kid <clears throat> taking the bus from Richmond, Virginia, up to Washington, D.C., and they let us off about two blocks away, and we had to walk. And, again, I'm a 13-year-old kid just following <laughs> strong of this crowd of uh, uh, 13, 14-year-old little girls. And when we got inside, it was just, it, it, there was no music playing except through these little tiny, well, the stadium speakers yeah. that you would listen to a ball game on or the guy going, you know, first and ten. It was terrible. Uh, and then uh, somebody came out and announced, you know, and the band started playing and then the Beatles ran out and they did it. But I couldn't hear a word. They, not one note did I actually really hear. And I was scared to death. All the girls pushing us forward. I thought I was going to die. I really thought I was going to die. So if you get a little was, older, you want all those girls to be pushing you. Yeah, now I'm thinking, <laughs> let's go back and re Can I have a redo on 1965, please? So now uh, <laughs> I want to throw out again, you know, as, as I've, I've never made any claim to having musical knowledge beyond knowing what I like. But I have people on here with me who have far greater musical knowledge than I do. Uh, my understanding is it is pretty standard uh, writing songs uh, that the Beatles did it more or less the way you do it. You come up with the music and then you come up with words to match it later. Uh, the only one I can remember who said the opposite is Don Henley, where in an interview he said he would write the lyrics and then come up with the music to match it, which seems strange to me. I don't think uh, there's a hard, fast rule. Cause no, I don't think there's a hard, fast rule, but I think it's easier to yeah. do it the way the Beatles did it, where you come up with the music and then you come up with yeah. words. But I found it fascinating watching this when they hadn't yeah. completed lyrics yeah. to songs and they're just singing gibberish as they're going along right. or, no, they, or they're, they're just yeah. you know making fun of the music in their yeah. own way. Uh, right. And I don't know if 
you you know what what your what anybody's experience is on here writing music but i'm I've curious only, how you viewed that i've only written a few songs probably under 10 i'm not it's not my strong suit but i've always wanted to and i've done it both ways i've i've had music because music comes easier than words for me right so I've had music and then tried to fit words to it, and it worked to a point. Words but, be hard. But more more often, I've got the words together because I had an emotion and a feeling for something, and I wanted to do it, and I got the words together, and I tried to fit music to it. And, and that worked better for me. But it's different for everyone. Hmm. It's definitely possible either way. I mean, vocals are just an instrument. They really are. Right. And so... You can really base it around that. I think Bernie Taupin probably wrote a lot of lyrics before Elton John wrote the songs, right? I think that happened. Yeah. There's got to be yeah. countless people that have done it both ways. But what I found interesting for this, from this movie, was that they, it not even just the like um, mumbling the words over the beat, but the music kind of was that way too. It was jamming all of it at the same time. They didn't even yeah. really figure out the riff yet. Sometimes they figured out the riff and mm -hmm. then the words and then kind of changed the riff. So it just felt like all of it happening at one time. And then when it finally clicks, it's the coolest part of the whole vibe of the film. And it happens like 500 times. Well, yeah. I think, you know, and I think Get Back, the song Get Back uh, in this film showed a great example of them writing the song. Paul had a simple little something Tucson, Arizona, and he going through the different <laughs> states, you know, trying to figure out where he was going. And then John would throw a thing out at him and back and forth. But it did seem to me that th this film almost verified the writing situation of the Beatles. John and Paul doing the bulk of it. George upset because, hey, what about mine? Mm -hmm. And uh, when again, I go back to that list when John was reading that whole list of all the songs they had been working on and came up with. Um, there were quite a few George songs that just got, well, all things must pass over. So uh, I thought that was very interesting. But when you see John and Paul, there were times that I think they totally forgot the camera was there and it was the two of them eyeball to eyeball. And they put basically get back together in what, 30 minutes? It, it, yeah. that's, that's staggering. And, well, get, uh, back, get back musically. Is one of the simplest songs the Beatles ever. Have well, sure, ever. it's a three chord. It's all three chord it's rock a Chuck, and roll. It's a Chuck Berry type tune. Yeah. If you listen to it, yeah. it's really got the Chuck Berry every every the whole rule book of Chuck Berry songs, but they made it their own. Exactly. Uh, I just learned this week come together. Well, not this week, a couple weeks ago. Uh, come together because I kept figuring out where the hell is that D minor? I can't get that freaking D minor to work. Oh. I watched John on a thing and he bar chords it up and it just next thing uh, you know, it's, it's all, yeah, it's all bar chords. And I go, Oh, there you go. Got it. <laughs> I'm doing, I'm playing come together in my current band. Are you really? Oh, for the cool. first, for the first time. And the baseline is really hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. But the rest it's, of it is easy. It's not it? hard to the note wise. Right. It's hard feel wise. He's getting back to the 10th fret. I know how you feel, Dad. Trust me. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> See, now, I, I I've long contended that 
it doesn't matter whether you're talking music, sports, art, writing, whatever it is. If you are genius level, and I think the four of us would put the Beatles at genius level. I thought um, you were going to say the four of us would put ourselves at genius level. Yeah, I was going to say. I, well, I, I, I don't think there's all. any subject that I'm putting no, myself at genius no, level. Thank you so uh, much, buddy. I appreciate but I, that. But, you know, when, when you are at that level, I think there's a certain amount that comes naturally to you that you almost can't explain. It's just this innate thing that happens. Uh, now, I, I kind of saw examples of it, I believe, uh, in watching McCartney 321 on Hulu. Yes. Uh, when they were going over awesome. different songs and Paul would be asked, well, so you plan to do this? And he was like, no, it just kind of came to me and I did it. Because uh, yeah. he had such a Paul. natural ability that he didn't even have to, yeah. like he would skip steps one through five and just go to step six. Exactly. Yeah. Paul is above most people when it comes to writing pop music. There's just, I, I can't think of too many other people Maybe Bernie Taupin, who was mentioned earlier, and Elton John, and uh, Bruce, and a few other good. Bob Dylan, of course, is up on that list. But even Bob Dylan, and John has mentioned this before, and George, when he was with Traveling Wilbury, saw a little thing, and you got to watch the five of those guys work. Mm. Um, Paul, I think it does come easy for him. I think he just goes to the piano or the guitar and just starts playing some chords, and, it, and it, it, stuff just comes out of him. John is similar, but then when it gets to the lyrics, that's where John's going to pull back and really work and compose and make, you know, uh, crippled inside or how do you sleep or you know he's going to really really define those lyrics. I don't think it comes quite as easy for the other ones. As it does, Paul. I think again, they're all geniuses. Even kind of funny you say that, because John wrote three books of poetry and lyrics. Yes, John was the master of words. Master words worked. But I think John, at least my impression on it, is that John wouldn't just take what came to mind and run with it. John Mm -hmm. had this anarchistic side to him. That yeah. if it came too easy, he'd think, no, that's not good. I got to, right. I got to, I got to refine this right. in a different way. I got to do something that's that's rebellious. Whereas Paul might think, just run with it, and I think that's where we get the song "Silly Love Songs" from, because John made fun I think of it. Because John kind of, John kind of had a way of. This sounds so obvious, but like expressing himself through words to the point where the words didn't even really matter. It was just like you understood through his tone and everything, just his voice, what he was trying to get out. Also, before you mentioned that Paul McCartney was like the best pop writer ever, which is probably true, but I immediately thought of Michael Jackson. And then I Googled it really quick while you guys were talking. And Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney had three songs together, and I didn't know about it until right now. This is real nonsense. No, we knew that. Apparently. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's why I come to you guys, the heavy hitters. But yeah, um, yeah, I think just... Paul and John needed each other to balance it perfectly, both lyrically for and Beatles. musically. Because, yeah, for Beatles. Uh, I, think, I think just in general. You well, can think, hear even Paul in their solo John, stuff that they're missing each other. I think Paul and John together is what allowed the Beatles to be revolutionary and to change rock music. Yes, Definitely. that's a good point. I think point. if, if yeah, either of them hadn't found the other, I don't know that we would have gotten to where we got. No, and in fact, it feels like now we have visual proof of that. Because like you said before, you watch them lock eyes and you're like, oh, my God, 
You never see them yeah. in the moment where the song comes together. You can you can feel it through the TV that there's something yeah. like really chemistry wise happening there. Yeah. And without them, that the songs might be poppy and fun or like weird and fun or whatever. But uh, I don't think they can ever hope to reach, obviously not, the highs that they had together. Obviously. Well, that's why I think it was also interesting, this thing between John and Paul. And, uh, and it was interesting the way part one ended with uh, uh, John and Yoko visit George. It didn't go well. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is something. But um, obviously something got worked out because part two comes. George is back. He's full of smiles. And, hey, he's got a piano player with him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so that got worked yeah. out but um go ahead george i lost my stream huh george brought in people to filter the the problems between them he did the same thing on the white album when he brought in eric clapton eric clapton right they weren't playing they were imagine this you've got a song if you're george harrison you've got a song called While My Guitar Gently Weeps. He's played it for the guys. They basically learned the song, but they don't particularly care for it. They were not going to include it. They didn't really care for the other Beatles. Eric shows up. John says, oh, we got to be on our best behavior today. Eric uh, does the lead, two takes. First time he finishes, hmm, I don't know, that wasn't beatle enough. Let's do the second take. Does the second take his solo? Boom, boom. That's the one that ends up on the on the recording, and it's you know one of George's biggest hits ever is uh, uh, that song. And John and Paul basically overlooked it and said, mm, I don't know. To and be they, fair, they, it probably you know, was way better with Clapton on there, though. I mean, like that's not George's style. Not that I love George; he's my favorite Beatle, but. Still, you get Clapton on with the Beatles, and you can understand how it's like, all right, we might change our opinion on this one. Well, did you hear, in the, even in Get Back, when George left, John made a joke about, we'll call Eric. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I particularly love yeah. the version of that song on the Live from Japan album that I mentioned earlier. I mm-hmm. think, because uh, he had Clapton on the tour with him, as you mentioned. And, right. And... Uh, they really go off on on the you know on it, and it's just such a well done version. And even at the end, when when the audience is when the audience is applauding, he he points to Clapton and says, "Eric Clapton, psycho guitar." <laughs> yeah, because yeah. uh, 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 that's the one where they're like taking the solo back and forth between either Eric does his, George does a solo back and forth. And George, George's remember? style wasn't to be as flashy as Clapton. Yeah, it wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to be the same thing. I have a question about George for you guys. Yes. For people who love the Beatles, myself included, and all of you guys, it's easy to see that this is George's stock going up to me because he's actually like, compared to the Let It Be movie again, he's actually like not fighting back with Paul, but he's definitely expressing himself more than it ever seemed before. It seemed right. like he was a punching bag before, and now at least you're like, oh, there was a conversation here, okay, okay. Yeah, so seems more Beatles like a collaborator. Fans, for yes. Beatles fans, yes. But for non-Beatles fans who are taking this new thing in on Disney Plus for the first time, or even if you're a fan but you never watched the old movie, there's a lot of in-between space there. I wonder if people think that George is a little mopey. Whereas we are all thinking like, oh, this is him actually more fired up, but you're not really, that perspective might be off for people who don't love the Beatles. I don't really know, but I'm wondering. How well, he was it. such, the, he was the quiet Beatle, of course. And, you know, 
it was hard for him to perform. He didn't really care for perform. He loved recording. He loved the recording process and the, the, the process of coming up with a song, working it, working it, working it, recording it, doing it again, working it, doing it. You saw that in the Wilburys uh, uh, video. That's just really good. If you haven't seen that, you need to check that out. It's on YouTube. Um, and it shows Clapton and, and Tom Petty and Roy Orbison and, and uh, uh, who'd I leave out? Eric. Jeff Lynn. Jeff Lynn. And, uh, and Eric uh, actually wasn't a Wilbury. No, I know. Uh, I don't know why Eric's name popped out right then. But uh, you watch them do the same thing, and you'll see that George works on it, works on it, works on it. And then he took the tapes, raw tapes, back to England with him and worked on them some more in the studio. Well, That's my understanding his... is also that, that Harrison, of the four of them, had the most elaborate home studio. Yes. That's, yeah, that he was even had the thing. equipment that they brought in. Yeah, yeah they brought some of his stuff back in. Uh, and, you know, that was his thing, you know. Uh, I think Paul now has a setup that's second to none in his home. Uh, but, well, now uh, it's different, yeah. yeah I think George now. deserves, like, uh, George still has all of the immediate genius coming out of him too though it's just compared to the other two it's hard to see but like when the, the point in the movie where he goes home for one night and comes back the next night and he has i me mine written because he was <laughs> watching a movie that had a waltz in it and then and you're like what you wrote this already and it's like this classic song and i also really liked this is neither here nor there but when john and yoko are dancing when that song comes on and they're like ballroom dancing and they're like awesome at it like, yes. Where did you find time to do this? Yeah. You know that cool. that scene right there. That scene, the difference between the two directors, in hmm. Let It Be, that scene was used to make it look like John didn't give a crap about what was going on with the other guys. He's off totally. in a corner dancing with Yoko. In this yeah. scene, movie, we now know why. Again, context. It was all of them coming together, yeah. All of them coming together, having a good time with that song. Peter Jackson did an unbelievable job of not having an agenda in this and, like, just giving us the footage. Or he has an agenda that is blinding us so perfectly that we think he doesn't. So either way, you've got to keep in mind, too, Peter Jackson was a little bit more handcuffed because he wasn't there to direct what was being filmed. No. He had to just work with the footage that was there. You know, in reality, in my mind, when I think of a director, I think of somebody who's taking control of, of the actual filming. So right. in this situation, he was more of an editor than a director. Yes. That's, that's at least how I'm viewing this. There was nothing uh, reshot in this. So he's taking other yeah. footage. Yeah. Now, and, now and, let's take it to the film itself, because uh, we could probably sit here and talk about the music all night. Uh, <laughs> in fact, uh, I, I've done that with you, Bob, and I've done that with you as well, Andy, so yeah. I know we could do that. Uh, but I'm going to pick up the guitar and start playing here in a second, if you don't hurt me. I, I, I want to talk about it more on, on the film level for a little while. Uh, I have to say, as a Beatles lover... This is just something that I could just sit there and I can watch, you know, from beginning to end. And, uh, you know, other than physical tiredness, I could just keep going and it's no no issue at all. But, and I hate to have to put a butt on here, mm-hmm. if you are not a Beatles lover, this isn't for you. 
It mm, really just isn't. Well. I'm, I'm sad to say. I know my wife got bored with it. I can yeah. bet a million dollars that Andy's wife got bored with it. My, my wife, wife, well, my my wife, wife is watching. Yeah. She hasn't watched the whole thing either. So I think yeah. I have pushback. I, I think I don't. I don't know if I agree. I think it, if you like music, you don't have to be a Beatles lover, but you have to really like music. Yeah. If you like you music, even stuff, if you yeah. don't like the Beatles, you are still seeing songs come together and you're seeing them craft the equipment and do the songwriting. You, and I think that's you fun. have to as have an interest like, in the creative like process. Correct. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Right. Even artists would like appreciate what was going on here, I think. And there was a lot of interpersonary stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think I think a lot more people might like it, but you do have to like music or arts or something. I think if you were taking somebody who's really not a Beatles fan at heart, you needed to do a much better job of editing this than let it be, but you needed to cut it down to about two hours. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I. And I well, I'm, again, I'm not talking long. about us. I'm talking right. about if you're taking so-and-so off the street who doesn't know the Beatles uh, particularly right. well, some of the songs might sound familiar, but otherwise they really aren't you know, big fans, and you want to get them to watch this and say, I enjoyed that experience, you need to, you need to do a serious editing job to cut down the time and really focus it. I think if we're talking just film, then mm. the goal of the film, in my opinion, is to get you to feel how the Beatles were feeling at this kind of time, which is uh, confused, um, concerned, stressed, bored. Um, you need all those feelings in order to have, and I'm not even talking about music anymore. Remove the Beatles from it. I'm just talking like film-wise. Mm-hmm. That to get to the end, to get to the climax where it feels good when the concert happens... You need to get through the boredom. You need to be put in the position where the main character is put in. No different than any other movie. You need to feel what the main character is feeling in some way or you're not going to care. And so I think you need that long amount of time. Did it need to be eight hours? I don't know. Could you do six? Maybe. If you do two hours, I don't think you get any of that. And so you need to be with the band for the payoff at the end. And so I like that what you have said is that it, it did change the first part from uh, coming out of there hating the Beatles, thinking they need to break up. These guys are terrible to being bored with the first section until you get to the uh, rooftop concert. I think mm. that's a true. Uh, and just as it brings you down and you're like, OK, I've seen enough jamming, enough jamming. Then at the end of the first part, they have the fight. And then right. they have the, so there's natural acts just like a normal film. And I, I, if you right. speed through it, I don't know if it feels cool at the end. Well, see, I like the idea that it's so long and it tells you so much. And again, even if I weren't a Beatle, I think I'd like to watch this about uh, Dixie Chicks. That okay? I think right. fine. They're fine. I like their music. Okay, I'm not a huge fan. I don't know anything about their personal lives, but. Would I watch a documentary about them in a studio? Maybe. I don't know that I'd watch six hours worth of it. Again, trying to think, look at this from the perspective of a non-Beatles fan. Exactly, and I think that's I, where I might agree with you a little bit, Paul, that uh, I don't think my Tuesday night friend, I have a bunch of guys that I still get together with every week, and I don't think any of them have watched it yet. And I think I th- it was I think partially it be- because they saw six hours 
Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. But I think also, if you wanted to make this more accessible to somebody who doesn't know these people and don't have, uh, you know, some feeling for their personalities coming coming into it already and know Mm -hmm. their history going into it. I mean, they did give you a little bit at the very beginning, but very little. Uh, I think maybe maybe some very judicious. You got to be very careful about not overdoing it, but just a little bit of either narration or. something to kind of put some some of the things in perspective uh what if it would what if it wasn't three two-hour parts but uh a six-hour miniseries like a tv show of 47 minutes per episode yeah but guys these people are used to this kind of stuff now this is this is normal i I don't think this is like it's not 1980 right like people are used to sitting down and watching 10 hours of a thing when it comes out if not for the streaming really situation, though, if not for true. the streaming ability on it and the ability to stop whenever you feel like it and pick it up yeah. again right at that point, yeah. I do think that each individual episode oh, was sure. probably a little overlong. I think That's, I think it, that it might, if you need if you're to be do, how it's consumed. But I think I think maybe maybe you would have been better off doing it in one hour blocks instead of. Yeah. Well, would you cut? I, I agree. What? That makes yeah. Uh, you know, even that last, the very last scene we, in the in the original, it pretty much ends with the rooftop concert. This right. one, it puts them back in the studio listening to it. And I like that. I did like that, I have to say. Yeah, I think that the three was, acts do make sense. Like, they make sense from the film perspective. But if you want to watch it in half-hour chunks, nobody's stopping it. I think yeah, exactly. That's one of the things with the way You're right if it was a theater movie, which I think it was supposed to be in theaters when this first right. got announced. And then yes. they realized, like, this is going to be way too long. Let's yeah, do it too this long way. Let's it. sell it to the highest bidder. Disney wins, and we get this mm-hmm. thing. And I and, prefer it this way because if you maybe Paul, you're right, you could appeal to more people, but you would be ruining what's cool about it for the people that do actually care, which is not worth it to me. I don't yeah, disagree I, with I you. I, th- I think we're, we're we're not disagreeing. We're just spitballing no, ideas. No, we're just saying because <laughs> <we're different. laughs> yeah, yeah. because from my perspective, as somebody who's spent the last oh forty something years bowing at the altar of the Beatles, uh, mm. I wouldn't want it to be different. But I'm trying to think of it from the perspective, if I'm trying to get Barbara Zago to sit down and watch this, what well, do I have to do to yeah. make it different? Yeah, you'd have to change well, Barbara the Barbara Streisand in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, point well taken. Uh, but you know what, I, I, I'm trying to, you know. Th- I think she would like it. I'm going to defend Mom for a second, okay? Mom, yeah. if you're listening to this. I think she, if she wanted to sit down and watch it, she would actually get on board with like the payoff of, oh, that's cool that when this song came together, I know that song because I've listened to it thirty thousand times in the background of my daily life. See, I'm, I'm using was- her as my as my test subject, and let me let me explain why I'm using her, uh, because I see her as somebody who does like music, mm-hmm. and and is interested in potentially a drama to see how things develop but probably doesn't have the patience to say, oh, I'm going to sit down and watch hour after hour after hour of the Beatles yeah. putting together an album. So how do Fair I enough, take I somebody who, who is like, like that and make her want to see this? People also like uh, conflict. You remove all the music. Yeah. I think people are interested in the interpersonary uh, spot that all these different guys are in, especially George and Paul, and that part I think would appeal to yeah. a lot. You could put that on a reality. You could put on Bravo, and people would watch yeah. that as a show. The Liverpool Housewives. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, so I think more people would be into it if they gave it a chance. But you are right about the barrier to entry. It's the eight hours seems like it's bad, but it's if they just sat down and started, they would be fine. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Just getting them started because it is like a reality show. Is so, Will so George maybe, come back? Is Paul right. really? If, if we're trying to make this more accessible to those people, right. but just as enjoyable to us. Now, what, what, I, what I'm coming up with here is I'm breaking this up into shorter segments. Instead of three segments between two and three hours each, eight one hours, I'm, yeah. I'm going to do eight one-hour segments or eight four yeah. or nine 45-minute segments, whatever it would work Something out. Something like so that, yeah. I might even add an extra segment at the beginning to put it into context to, to mm. explain how they came together to – in you know in the studio what they were trying to accomplish i i kind of value though that that he that uh i value filmmakers that treat their viewers like um adults is condescending but Mm. that that give them respect respect their intelligence you over the head with exposition all the time and so i kind of i hear what you're saying but i just can't help but feel like it would be more cheesy and it didn't feel cheesy and it easily could have they had a really good format too, using the idea of the calendar and marking off every day. I like that. Oh, yeah, that would have been a natural break spot for episodes. To be fair, that exactly. And I think we you know we have uh, the way they did that, letting us know what happened each day in a progress. You could use that same uh, technique to split it up into smaller segments. Yeah, if couldn't you, you couldn't you do it as as yeah. a series of episodes? Day one, day two, day day three, one, day two, day yeah. three. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, you could have. Because all that footage is there. I mean, again, think of it. We're just looking at as this piece. If you wanted to make it a a uh, like a regular series of Next ten year, episodes year, or twelve we'll episodes, have a 20, twenty-two series episodes. Yeah, <laughs> so of the, each day, one hour. Well, you do day, twenty-two yeah. twenty-two episodes of of yeah. one of each day, and you're making yeah. each episode between thirty and forty minutes long. There you go. Hey, look, but also the pause button exists. I mean, like, <laughs> if, if you guys want to do that, feel free to do it. I, I This is our gripe yeah. with the film. It's like, this is an unbelievable movie. I can't even, I hear you, but, like, I don't even want to tarnish anything that Peter Jackson put out there because I worship it so much. Yeah. Well, I, I, I agree yeah. kind of with you. Know, you. I don't want to split think any this of us, I don't think any of us had a moment where we didn't enjoy this. What we're right. trying to look at is how right. do we make this a more, I don't normal want to say human. more commercial, but more easily yeah. accessible to people For normal who, humans. who aren't because <laughs> we well, are also, not normal viewers. On the, on the back of that, do you think this will be – it will be up for a lot of sound awards, I would imagine, come Oscar time. But I, I imagine they won't put it in, like, Best Picture, and I feel like they should. You know, you, know, you know what struck me about it is how crystal clear. Or is it a TV show? And I don't know how that works. You know, I think it's more in the Emmy category than Oscar. But you do? I, I, but okay. I think I think what struck me about it was how crystal clear the footage appeared. It looked like they yeah. really remastered it and cleared yeah. it, cleaned well, it all up. Well, they remastered up. everything, sound and video. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, all of it. Even the rooftop concert, even the areas where they shot it in uh, 16 millimeter, believe it or not. Mm-hmm crazy but they have done yeah they did a great job of being able to clean this up uh, enlarge some of the uh smaller stuff to real footage i i didn't notice any now again i do have some vision problems but uh, i sit six inches away from a large screen tv so it was crystal clear it was like a movie experience to me and i want to go back again because I, like i mentioned i did turn the visual stuff so there's people explaining little tidbits mm. i mean we know what the cops names were 
Do you know what the yeah, two? Oh, that's funny. Dak was the uh, the main. You know that main one. Yeah. Main How old would you say Dak 19. was when they filmed this? How old was he? Years old. Nineteen. Because yeah. he he Who had a baby 19? face. Who was yeah. nineteen? The cop. The cop. The good oh, guy. Yeah. The cop. Yeah. He looked so like he, he was, was fresh on the job and trying to figure was, out. There's a recent interview with him. Oh, and, really? Yeah. I don't know where I saw it, but he was. I remember. Really, we, I mentioned it on the podcast, and we yeah. tried to wonder whether we could get one of the cops on my podcast, the Link podcast, by the way, if you didn't know it. And, uh, and then you sent me that article that someone had already did that. They got an interview with one of the cops, which is crazy. Yeah. Cool. I did see an yeah. interview with the one, the older, she wasn't old then, but the woman in the red coat and sunglasses that was walking by early on and looking up at the to see where the music was coming from. Uh, she's still around. They talked to her. I but, found it uh, fascinating to watch yeah. the people when they would interview them and say, you know, what do you think of them up there? And some of them were like, I love it. And some of them were like, oh, they're bothering me. Bothering, <laughs> bothering me work, Dan. There were so many more good ones though in this one yeah. oh they yeah. gave no, no, no. A, a lot more of those testimonials than the other movie and <laughs> yeah and i think I you, said you like the other part better right didn't you say that on our podcast that you like the let it be part better for the rooftop i did yes it was Only different because because it was more like a concert yeah yes. the let it be version they didn't split it up like they did this one the yeah, let it be it like a one as song a after another to the end yeah and this uh, one repeated songs, which I didn't find that great. Yeah. But that's probably how they did it. Yeah, yeah. this is more real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. this is this. Uh, yeah, I think this was more more of a true showing of what that concert was. But exactly. there was this visceral feeling of the concert in the Let It Be movie. Yes. That you know that was better than what it really was <laughs> because it, be it felt like they too. just got together and did a concert when they hadn't done one in whatever it was five years. Exactly. The only the only problem I have with this version, this documentary, was the non-rooftop songs were never performed in their entirety, where they were on the get on the Let It Be movie. Right. Right. The two of us, the one after nine oh nine, I Me Mine, in the studio, right? Yeah, but I think they, he was conscious of not wanting to repeat himself. I don't think he wanted to suppose, make the same movie. I guess so. As much as we hate on Let It Be, right, this movie does not exist in the same way, regardless of whether he gets his hands on the footage or not. He was able right. to use what Let It Be did poorly to inform what he should do on this movie. And yeah. so I think you can't – he was nice enough to not repeat some of the exact steps that they used in that movie and wanted it to be different, whether be for no. better or worse. I see that. I see that. I see uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg's version as uh, very downtrodden and Peter Jackson's version as mostly upbeat. And the, the truth is probably somewhere in between. Yeah. I'd see, like I to think more towards Peter Jackson's version. I don't think Jackson buried the conflict, though. I mean, he had a very large portion of it dedicated to George leaving and them yeah. having to deal with that and, and what they talked about while he was gone. Uh, so, I mean, you did see the conflict there. Yeah. And uh, what about and that you, and you did have the conversation? There was, there was one with, conversation where they were talking, like, 
I think Paul, Paul wanted to do Get Back. And he says, oh, yeah. that's that's the most formed song. And, and John came in and says, well, what about, uh, I don't remember which songs he mentioned, but he mentioned one of his songs and one of George's songs. He said, we think they're, they're just as good. You know, something yeah. along those lines. So there was some conflict that was shown there. Uh, yeah. I took from this that, you know, Paul took the goal of these sessions just a touch more seriously than the other three did. That he he made a a determination in his mind. But he he made a determination in his mind that if this was going to work, somebody had to be the bad guy. Somebody had to be the leader. Somebody had to be the adult. And he took that on himself. Ringo, in a recent interview, said, uh, Paul, Paul was, uh, uh, after about, uh, well, started sometime around uh, the recording sessions for Sgt. Pepper, that it became Paul's band. And uh, they didn't go to the studio unless, you know, Paul was the one. He'd say, okay, lads, it's time to get back into the studio. Okay, lads, time to go. It was Paul that was pushing the Beatles to stay as Beatles and do work and do the stuff. But once they got into the studio, they all brought what they had, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely Paul's band. There's an interesting story, uh, two quickies. But one, um, Paul, we were going to do a long play. I had this idea of doing like Road to Sergeant Pepper. Uh, in the early days, they were just beat up. I mean, uh, I think like uh, Andy said earlier, you, you know, they were in the studio recording, then they'd get out on the road and they'd tour, 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 come back, go into the studio, go back. And so they did this for like three, four years solid. And uh, they got off the road at one point and when it had to go into the studio and they were exhausted, but not just exhausted. Paul was exhausted. All of them were tired. But John had anger. John was tired, He was, but he was mad that they weren't letting him do it. And what we got was uh, what I think is the first time that uh, the writing between John and Paul got a little competitive. The first side of the whole album is basically John's stuff. No reply. I'm a loser. It goes on and on and on. And Paul sings three or four songs, but two of them are old rock and roll songs. You know, the covers after that recording session with uh, um, and even the picture on the on the cover uh, you don't just see four tired guys you see four exhausted guys with an attitude after that session where Paul was not ready didn't have new material and John had a whole album basically ready um, Paul said that'll never happen again and uh, from that point on the next album they did was Rubber Soul and then, of course, Revolver. And, and, and it just exploded. But from that point, after that album, and I'm drawing a blank on the... What's the name of the album that had no reply, I'm a loser? Beatles, uh, six, Beatles for Sale or Beatles, Beatles 65? For, there you go. For for uh, the original, yeah, Beatles 65 in America, it was uh, Beatles for Sale. That was the album where John was angry at the whole Beatle thing for the way that they were getting treated. And uh, some of those songs that we think he's talking about a woman, he's talking about record companies and how they're treating him and and management and that kind of stuff. But that album 
uh, made a difference in the writing. It was the next album where Paul brought in like a dozen of his own songs because uh, he said, hey, John's never going to outwrite me again. And uh, I think that's kind of funny stuff. Also, on that same writing thing, Paul has a new book out to compliment Get Back, is what he said. But the book is of all of the songs written by Lennon McCartney with a little twist in the songs where Paul wrote them. He's put his name first Um, because we know for a fact that in the early days, yeah, they would look at each other and throw lines back and forth and chords and write and write and write. But like I said, about 65, 66, it was, three of them bringing in individual songs and the others helping them with it or whatever. It wasn't John and Paul. It was Paul with John or John with Paul or uh, it's getting better all the time. Couldn't get much worse. That kind of thing. It wasn't really writing whole songs together. And uh, Paul is trying to set the record straight now about which ones were his I mean, we all know, obviously, Let It Be. And we know the Paul loves songs. Um, but some of those old songs, who wrote that? Was it really John? Was it really Paul? You try to think, well, who's singing? You think, well, Paul was singing. Well, that was because George made Paul sing because John's using the harmonica to open it, even though John wrote the song and sings the second verse. That kind of stuff. Uh, I think it doesn't it depend on what you mean by writing the song, though, because like. Without either of them, none of that comes together. Whether who who wrote the words or who wrote the melody, to me, it's like I, none of those songs are the song without either of them. So at, at some point, you're like, ah, I don't even care. Well, except it, uh, yes and no. Uh, I think yesterday would have been yesterday, whether he had ever met John or not. It was scrambled eggs for the longest time. Is what he called the song. He had the music, and he kept going around to everybody saying, do, do you know this song? Is this mine? Did I write this? Because he had the melody on the piano fully out and the guitar. It was there with uh, Yesterday, but he didn't have any words, and he was calling it Scrambled Eggs. Uh, there are songs like that. There are songs that are totally John's song um, from early days. But, you know, Paul is trying to say, um, that even though Paul and, or John and I wrote a lot of songs together, some were my ideas and some were his ideas. And the ones that are my ideas now have my name first. And that's what Paul is trying to do to set that record straight. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to see who, I, I don't have it in front of me, who wrote Octopus's Garden? Who gets literal credit? Because that's Ringo. Ringo wrote that. Ringo and George. Yeah, but does George get actual credit on the album i I mean does he get written credit for that i don't know yeah i don't know it's been a long time but see that kind of stuff happens all the time with those guys where uh one of them will come up with an idea and plunk a few chords on on the piano or guitar and the others will fill in uh happened more earlier i think than later as we see in the movie most of the time it was paul coming in with a fully ready song ready. And then now I'm going to teach you guys how to play. And George will add his guitar lick and John will add whatever he's going to add to it. But it's Paul's song and the other same with the other way around. Um, 
while my guitar gently weeps. The other guys had absolutely nothing to do with that except playing the chords and playing what George told them to play. I'll give a parallel to my love of comic books here. Uh, I am a huge fan of everything that Jack Kirby and Stan Lee did together. Right. And it is fairly well accepted that Jack Kirby was a tremendous concept guy. He came up with these ideas that just were, you know, far out and and wonderful. Uh, But until you put him with Stan Lee, they would be just a little too far out and he would reel it back in and he would give it the proper context and he'd add some things in the dialogue that would explain things. And you could see the difference between when they worked together at Marvel and then when Kirby went over to DC and created the new gods and dark side and all of that, he still had these phenomenal ideas, but when you read the books, they're a little more difficult to get through and they're they're just not as reader friendly. And That's I think, a really, really good comparison, yeah. Yeah, and I think we can compare the Beatles to that, where they have these great ideas, but, you know, and it doesn't matter whether it's Paul that has the great idea, or John, or George, or, or even Ringo, for that matter, but mm-hmm. when they come up with the idea, and then the other ones are there to say, hey, well, why don't you try this a little different, or why don't you just add this chord in here, or put right. this, this, this harmony in here, and they just took what was a really great idea and turned it into a great song with that collaboration, even though one of them might be 95% responsible for it, that 5% that the other ones gave is what really put it over the top. Made it a Beatles so the, song. The math equation goes Lennon and McCartney equals Lee and Kirby equals Shaq and Kobe. I think that works. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that may be reality, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty old close. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's really hard to to split those up though, when because it, it it is true, you know, and you can say it doesn't matter who wrote it or whatever, because when the four of them got together, it was the Beatles, and yeah. and I think they even know that. I think that they would. We didn't see it in this movie too much, but I bet they did write stuff and say, you know, that's not really a Beatles song. That's not really a Beatles song. Now we there all were know plenty of little the... tunes that we heard during this movie where oh, they so played five okay. seconds of a song and and you'd see the name of the song would come up at the bottom and it would say McCartney or Lennon as right. the writer of it and you'd be like I never heard that before and I'm never going to hear it again unless I watch this exactly. movie again because exactly. it, it was just a snippet the, of an idea. Solo songs that got released eventually, like there were a few of those too. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. you, yeah we heard uh, what's it? All things must pass. We heard was it? No, we heard "Isn't It a Pity?" Excuse me. We heard uh, "Teddy no, Boy." All things must pass. We did hear all okay. things must pass. We and heard uh, like a little bit of "All Things Must Pass," and then John mentioned it on the list. And, and we, we got Teddy we got "Teddy Boy" from McCartney. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, jealous guy. Yes. Jealous guy. Yes, but without without being jealous guy, whole different lyrics. Yes. I'm sure glad he waited on that and put good lyrics with that. Yeah. Jealous guy's a great song. Oh, it is. So. But you know, you you can you can separate what they did together and what they did as solo artists. What they did as solo yeah. artists is great music. Yeah. I, I I'll give all four of them credit for making great songs. Yeah. Uh, you know, even Ringo's. Uh, you know, Ringo has less of a list of great songs, but yeah. he's got some that I love. I mean, it don't come easy. Is one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, I, I just think it's a great tune. But, but that anyway, was also George. Yes. That was George, yeah. But, that was but, uh, and yeah. but in fact, that you, album. You can see that they, they didn't have the consistent greatness 
no. on their solo albums that they did together. You know, that no. was one of the things a project I wanted to do way back when uh, was take their solo albums and um, make Beatle albums out of them. In other words, you haven't done that. Down. Yeah, Plastic Ono Band and McCartney, I think, I were both that. released in the same year. Yeah, I did that all the time. I take, I, I try and find ones that were released close to each other. And yeah, make, and make, make an a album of, 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 of the yeah. greatest of those albums and put it together in a sequence where I thought yeah, it all matched a, well. Exactly. And at that point, you know, but then when you get to, you know, Band on the Run and Imagine and, I mean, you start to get to things where, God, what do you cut? The funny Some thing is, just, when I used to do that with, with mixtapes, yeah. For whatever reason, never ever did a Yoko song make it to the tape. Really? <laughs> None of them? <laughs> not not a one. <laughs> not even a, that stuff on Double Fantasy? But to be fair, uh, Linda McCartney singing Cook of the House also didn't make it. Ah, okay. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's that's a little bit of a deep cut that I, I would imagine you guys know, but people oh, listening may not know that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> Paul looking at Linda. Well, you want to start a band? <laughs> sure. Did, did Howard Stern used to do something. I know we're for, going far afield here from Get Back, but Howard Stern used to do something where they isolated Linda's vocals in concert. Oh, and and he so would just make fun fair. of her. It was terrible. Oh, Howard. But it was unfair to her. You know, he she was just yeah. doing her best to be there with her husband. Uh, you know, you, you can only expect so much. Yeah. Hey, she was still part of a really good band. It counts. Hey, listen, yeah. Wings Over. I, I saw the tour, the 76 Wings Over America tour. That was a hell of a band he put together. Yeah. And a big time show. Big time show. It's not a little rock show. That's a big time rock concert. Rock show. And he did some stuff off of. Uh, um, I, I really like. Uh, uh, um, uh, several of Paul's solo albums. I like all of their stuff. I don't know what I'm talking about. I can't single that stuff out. I, like I know, but stuff. in Wings Over America, again, we, I know we're far off, far afield here, but I particularly yeah. enjoyed the Wings versions of some Beatles songs. Yeah. Like, I really yeah. liked the way that they did Long and Winding Road in Wings Over America. I really mm -hmm. liked the way they did Lady Madonna in Wings Over America. Yes. Uh, I really liked the way he did I've, I've Just Seen a Face in Wings Over America. And I like that he I let Danny Lane do Go Now. Yes. Danny Lane, good guitar player. Well, Danny Lane did Go Now, the original. Yes, I know. But, <laughs> yeah. he, let him do, but he let him do it in concert instead in of concert. saying, this is oh, just a, to, a McCartney show. He yeah. had to throw him a bone. Yeah. But it was like a good version of it, too. It was. I also like when Paul, during a concert, will take his bass off and bring out his old Epiphone Casino. And... Uh, play a little guitar on that that's what i had so john's guitar though all three of them had epiphone casinos and it became john's regular guitar in 1965-66 after he dropped that rickenbacker okay i think we've hit the point where we're just about ready to rate this movie uh but yeah, i want to before we do that now. before we do that i just want to ask if any of the three of you have any other points about the film get back to hit on because otherwise we're just going to keep going stream of consciousness with people. I, I have I stuff. have one one comment. Um, I don't know if this relates, but it should. Did anyone ever have a relationship that went on for a while and it was great, and then it got a little rough, and yeah, you, you tried 
no matter what, to do anything to keep it going. Like doing the old things you used to do or whatnot. And ultimately, the end is always the same. And that's that's the way I attribute this whole get back experience. Is they had a great relationship. They were very close guys, but then they went and led different lives. And ultimately, they knew it was going to end. But they were trying. Mostly McCartney was trying, but the rest of them, too, to just keep it together. That's all. I like that. That was really well said. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make a joke at the end of it and ruin it like I always do for you. Sorry about that. And Billy Billy Preston is the marriage counselor in that scenario. They bring him in and they're like, oh, wow. In front of other people, we can kind of still make this thing work. Yeah. Yeah. See, this, this this may or may not have anything to do with reality, but in my head canon, I've created a scenario where they could no longer have the business professional relationship that they had, but that I believe they all had a great fondness for each other that transcended the breakup of the band and that was personal between them that we didn't need to know details about. And I don't know how much of that is reality and how much of that is my fantasy world, but I'm going to stick with that fantasy no matter what. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's a good fantasy, but I think I agree with you. I think that they could no longer work as a business called the Beatles. Artistically, they could have gotten back. And I don't think they were really planning to like end it forever at that point. I think it if, was one if of If Joan those, had not been killed, I would not be surprised if they would have gotten together again. They would have gotten together eventually. And here's another little quickie. Uh, remember how Saturday Night Live, Lauren Michaels or one of them would come up on camera and say, I've got a check for $1,500 if the Beatles will show up here tonight. Come on, guys. Uh, it was very funny. John and Paul happened to be together that night in Paul's apartment at the Dakota and they almost went over there. They had their coats on. We'll make that the thread between the two podcasts because Andy told that same story <laughs> last week. Oh, <laughs> oh, terrific. That's, terrific. That's perfect. We need a side by side. Yeah. But so, uh, uh, yeah, I just think, you know, for my closing on this, this is just a great, great, great film. I'm so glad they did this. Uh, you know, we get again, context and, um, uh, thrilled that it was out and put out. And I think to Paul's point, if you feel as though you are intimidated, which is very reasonable, and you're looking for a way to digest this a little better, just try it. Even if you don't think you are a huge Beatles fan, mm-hmm. and thank you for getting to the end of the podcast if you're not a huge Beatles fan. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> and just give it a go because I think you'll. There's something in there for everybody, whether you like them or not, and you might come out of it liking them more. So give it a go. You will enjoy it. It's a, just a really well-made film overall. Yeah, I'm gonna say if you are not a Beatles fan and you do take the time to watch it, you will have a greater appreciation for their music than you would have going in. 100. percent Yeah. I, I, I think that is the case if you were open-minded and you give it that shot. Uh, I'm gonna give it my rating first, and then I'm gonna throw it to you guys to give yours as a Beatles fan. And even as a Beatles fan, I think I needed to digest this slowly. I didn't see it in three sittings. I saw it in, I guess, probably six. Um, But as a Beatles fan, there's just an element of Nirvana 
and I don't mean the band Nirvana, I mean mm. the definition <laughs> of the word Nirvana, to watching this and seeing this and seeing these songs develop and seeing their personalities and seeing them as, as young, vital musicians just putting this stuff together, the creative process and everything about it, uh, that I have to give it a Jaws rating. If you are not a Beatles fan, I'm not sure where it falls for you. If you do give it the shot, uh, as Michael suggested, and I do think the way Michael suggested it is probably the right way to do it, uh, you you may have a deep appreciation for it where you could see it as a Jaws-level film, or it may be a little lower to a Jaws 2 level, but I think either way, there's a level of appreciation that you would get out of it if you give it the chance. So I'll let whoever wants to go next can go next. I can go next. Um, while I consider it a Jaws level, absolutely. Um, to the multitudes, I would say Jaws 2. Because there's only a fraction of the, the people in the world who would sit through it and really love it all. So I would say... Unfortunately, Jaws 2 for the multitudes. For the Beatle maniacs and music maniacs, Jaws definitely. Well, I think that's silly. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think this is not only Jaws. This is Jaws director's cut. This is like you just watch Jaws and then you got 10 more scenes that you're like, how did I never see this before in Jaws? This is, it ranks, I, mean, I don't know if this is blasphemous for this podcast, but I don't get my own podcast by making non-hot takes. This is you a have your own podcast? Show. Have you heard of it? It's called The Link Podcast, at the link <laughs> underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. But <laughs> I really, I like this movie better than Jaws. I will go back to this. I think it is for Beatles fans and non-Beatles fans. I do grant you that there is a barrier to entry that seems intimidating. But if you just turn it on and you just get ready to learn something new, people love documentaries about random stuff. You can treat this that way, too. And you will learn something. You will come away with it with emotional connection. The editing is great. Um, the pacing I found OK because there's a great payoff at the end of it. And if nothing else, you'll be part of the zeitgeist. I can't imagine anyone would get through the eight hours and go, eh, I didn't really love it. So I'm, uh, I'm firmly in the Jaws director's cut camp. Cool. Well, me too. I'm 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 closer with Michael, I think, than I am with the other one. This was way above and beyond what I had expected as a Beatles fan. And uh, even if you're not a Beatles fan, if you're interested in, well, you'd have to be a documentary fan or a music fan. But if you like details and if, oh my God, if you watch a reality show about people pretending to do stuff and directed and scripted this is unscripted this is real it's possibly the most important musical band of definitely our lifetime uh and you're getting to see how they work and how they put it together and kind of how they ended um but yeah, it's and I think even for uh, and I agree with what Michael said. Even if you're not a big Beatle fan, you can take it in small doses. The pause button works, but I guarantee if you sit down and start watching this, 
I don't see how you could then go, you know, mm, no, boring, going to go. Even if you don't know who these people are, there's conflict, there's intrigue, and there's great music. Even with Paul's really jet black dyed hair and beard. That had to be professionally done. I don't yeah, think he I did just that. I thought he was before. young. I didn't think he had any gray yet. That's all. Yeah, but I don't think he has black hair. I mean, the other album covers, he's got brown hair. But I don't know. I'd have to. If it, if that was really Paul looking natural, uh, holy moly. Yeah, but Paul, but Paul died in 66. Yeah, that's wow. true. I think I forget who's what the name of the guy who they said replaced him was. I got I don't remember anymore. We got to do a whole second podcast now. Oh, <laughs> so, okay, but for now, I'm going to thank you guys for coming on here. Uh, uh, Mike, you have a podcast. I do. It's called The Link Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify. You can find it on Google. You can find it on CastBox. I don't even know what that is. I'm not sure it's the right name, but you can find it everywhere that there are podcasts. The Link Podcast. Paul, thank you so much for that. Anybody who's listening to this, I am going to put links on the Is It Yours Facebook page to uh, the episode of Michael's podcast where they reviewed Get Back, uh, as well as the episode of Long Play where Bob and I reviewed the album Abbey Road. Uh, so if, if you didn't get enough Beatles talk here, you'll get a little bit more if you want it. Uh, Andy, you are, I'm going to just throw out there to the audience that you are responsible for creating a rabbit hole for me that I can't climb out of. Uh, and and, and the, the ver- what I'm saying is that about two years ago, three years ago, when you moved to Arizona, yeah. uh, you were... Uh, six now. It's six years. Is it really? Yes. Oh, my God. God, the time flies so quickly. Uh, on Thanksgiving, you showed up with about five Beatles albums that you said, oh, we're moving, and I have doubles of these, so here, Paul. And I had long since eliminated my vinyl con- collection, and I don't know if you saw the way my eyes got glazed over with yes, those I albums. Did. But I, I went out and bought a, a turntable a couple of days later, and, and I've been since I, – I still refuse to spend the, like, $40 for a new album that they charge. But I've been going yeah. to the uh, garage – I've been going to garage sales and, and used record stores, and I probably have about 150 records now, and oh, it's going to continue to go up. Good. Uh, I still have my entire record collection. No, I was one of those people who bought CDs and then said, oh, I don't need vinyl anymore, like an idiot, because I had a large collection. Uh, I got all the Beatles on vinyl for a young spry chicken. I'm still doing all right. Yeah, that's not bad for a 30-something to have uh, all Beatles on vinyl. (laughs) Some guy. Some guy. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, this conversation might go on, but I'm going to cut it off for the listening audience. Uh, thank you all again for coming on. This has been Thanks, an absolute Paul. pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you in two weeks. Bye-bye. It's complicated now. So see if we can get it simpler and then complicate it where it needs complications. But it's complicated it's in the complicated. bit. I mean, I'll play just the chords if you like. No, no. Oh, you always go. I'm worried when I say that. I'm trying to help you now. But I always hear myself like, annoying you. And I'm trying to. No, you're not I, annoying. I so. You don't annoy me. But you know what I mean? Well, you know, we do this then, and we. And then, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I can't do it on film either. <laughs> I can't freaking do it on camera. Yeah. Forget about candy camera. That's good. Be a bit of boss.
and I have been for like a couple of years. You know, it's like I always sound, I always feel as though I'm trying to put you down and stop you playing, but I'm not. I'm trying to stop us all playing until we know what we're playing. Yeah, but you've got to play in order to find which fits and which doesn't. Mm. You well, see, that's I, all I you know, can do. I, I don't want to say it, because I really just hear myself as being the only one saying it. 